All right, you may be seated. And as you are, uh, take your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 11, the whole thing. We're going to read the whole thing here in a few minutes. Might feel long, a little heads up. On Monday, I had the chance to visit with Terry and the family in the hospital. What a pleasure that is. He was less than a day from passing. Uh, interesting juxtapositions of moments that you get uh, in the life of the church. Certainly in ministry, you, you see this. I'm on the first floor uh, exiting the hospital and I bump into John McCann. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a car seat in his hand. They just had his baby and he's headed back up to get her. So I headed up with John to visit with Sarah, and to pray with them and visit with them. And here Terry, for all of his visits to the hospital over the years, was making his last journey to the hospital. And here was a baby, uh, recently born, now exiting the hospital for her 70 or 80 years or whatever the Lord gives her to live. And it was a blessing for me to learn of all of you who have been in both places. You visited with Terry and then you visited with John and Sarah along the way. And isn't that the church? We take care of each other in life and in death and what an honor it is to be with each other in those moments. Well, this evening we'll consider a portion of John's gospel where Jesus reveals the deepest truth about the deepest things, life and death and where he reveals the depth of his love for us and where he reveals the true extent of his care for us. John 11 is a beautiful chapter in our Bibles. Let's get to know it better. And let's start by reading the chapter together. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. To the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he would not come to the feast at all? 
Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. We're going to reflect on this chapter together in four steps. Reflecting on four elements of the story. Loved ones, news, a care plan, and a response. First element, we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus' loved ones. These are the characters. You always meet characters in a story. Well, here are the characters. We meet several. Mary and Martha, familiar names. John reminds us who they are. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. A profoundly meaningful moment to Jesus, an expression of love for him. Mary had got something about Jesus right that Martha had not. She was the busy one, busy with great service, but Mary was busy with the greatness of Jesus. Mary anointed him with expensive ointment as a symbol of her love and devotion to Jesus, and she was commended. These two are sisters. Very different, no doubt, but family. And and in this story, in which follows, the Lord has something to teach them both, a lesson for both of them, just the same. They had a brother, and that brother's name was Lazarus. Lazarus, three siblings. These siblings were close, and Jesus was, we could say, a close family friend. I don't know, maybe the closest family friend? How could Jesus not be a good friend if you knew him? We're told in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And John, in composing this account, is drawing our attention to the affection of Jesus for those whom he loves. These three are Jesus's loved ones. And we can relate. We all have, hopefully, those we might call loved ones. Family members or those close or closer than family. People that our lives are intermingled with in deep in permanent kinds of ways. Not acquaintances, friends isn't even quite right. It's something deeper. People you can't imagine life without. People who have changed you. You can think of trees that grow up together and wind around. Marriage is certainly like that, but so many relationships in life, certainly family, is that way. We are not the same for some of the people in our lives. The people we can't that can't leave this world without, I don't know, taking part of us with them. And uh, when you're away, you miss them. There are people uh, you cry over when you say goodbye to them. I weep when I pull out of my parents' house in St. Louis. I'm not planning on it. I think it might happen. Sure enough, we pull away from that house and it's just heaviness on my heart. Christy and I have moved a few times and I weep pulling out of each of those places we've called homes. The faces, the voices, the names, and the stories are a part of my soul and I can't get them out and I will miss the people that I move away from. Call me sentimental, I feel so terribly blessed and that's a part of it and I hope you know friends and family that way. Jesus had loved ones. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are not other names or characters in the story. These are ones whom Jesus loved, companions of his in life. But of course, this is not a passage about companionship, but a passage concerning a profound crisis 
that Jesus addresses. Which leads us to the second element of the story. We've looked at Jesus' loved ones and now the news. Jesus gets the news. Verse three, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He gets the news of a loved one's sickness. And in the illness is serious. You can feel the urgency on the sisters' voices. Jesus would know if they just did this all the time for every cough. Surely they wouldn't. Messages getting to Jesus because this is a serious matter and they want him to know that Lazarus is not well. And we can relate here as well, can't we? There's something terrifying about walking with someone to life's edge. Just terrifying. There's something terrifying about walking in that direction with someone in the dark and the fog of sickness and deep sickness and IVs and beeping robots and surgery, not knowing where the edge might be and when they might be snatched by death from this world. An illness can be an ugly thing in 2016 with our hospitals and sanitation and all that we've got going. Death is still a terrible thing to watch. It's an ugly thing. And surely it was no less ugly in the first century. It's a fight coming into the world and it's a fight going out and it doesn't matter where or when you live. And the fight's good on both sides. And so distressed, Lazarus' sisters are sending for Jesus. He's sick and even implicit within that. Jesus, do something. They know who they're dealing with. We know that Jesus didn't hear with deaf or unfeeling ears as if his perspective as the divine son means that sad things aren't sad. We might imagine that Jesus sees things so clearly that he couldn't really be sad. And maybe sometimes you feel in your sickness and your trial and trouble that maybe you shouldn't be sad if you could just see spiritually clearly enough. If you just had the perspective, maybe you wouldn't be sad or grieve. Now we know that Jesus was not unfeeling here. In fact, sad things, I should suggest, are sadder for the Son of God. Consider that. This is a profoundly sad moment for Jesus. Verses later, Jesus gives his disciples an update on, Jesus's on Lazarus' health. He says, plainly, Lazarus has died. And when they arrive at Bethany, Lazarus is four days dead. And in front of that tomb, where we hear the words, is where we hear the world's shortest and perhaps densest sentence, Jesus wept. See how he loved him, the Jews said. That was their impression. Jesus was weeping over one for whom he had great and deep love. And this was a loss. He was not playing human for us. He was being human. His tears are the purest kind, pure pain, pure sadness, pure anguish, undiluted by sin or any other thing. God, the Son from all eternity, the eternal word became flesh. And that includes his tear ducts. And behind those, a humanity that is every bit as human as ours, with its human emotions and human experience of loss. And yes, the human making and losing of dear loved ones. So he can relate to our uh, losses in life. In fact, he can more than relate. His feelings were deeper 
emotions connected with the death than we will ever know. His experience of this friendship was purer than ours, for it was not polluted by his own sin. Jesus also knew the gravity of what was lost when a human dies. Human beings, his own design, come from the dirt and were never intended to go back there. We were intended to live forever, but our bodies crash and crumble and return to the dust. And it's a sad and terrible thing that happens when any human being dies. Jesus feels that. He is not used to it like we get used to it. He does not tell him things to comfort himself uh, and put his mind at ease. It's natural. It happens. Well, I suppose we have to. It's true. Everyone dies. But for Jesus, it's not the way it's to be, and he feels that. That's why Jesus was more than sad. We're told in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved. Could be translated angry. He was deeply sad. And Jesus was deeply angry at the event. And after all, there is deep injustice under all death. And if you've lost a loved one, I have not. If you have lost a loved one to a great injustice, perhaps you know the mingling of sadness and grief and anger and indignation. Well, Jesus knows the purest mingling of those emotions, and he's got them here. Take comfort in knowing that the Son of God knows firsthand the human experience of loss. Yet for as much as Jesus hates and laments death, this is an awfully curious passage. And the experience of watching Jesus receive the news of Lazarus' illness would be unnerving if you were there without ears to hear. Which brings us to this third element in our story. Jesus' care plan. We'll spend some time on this one, roughly verse 17 through 44. It's a pretty bad care plan, at least for anyone with any heart who's ever lived, at least from our perspective at first. I'm sure you caught it, verse 6. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And of course, we'll find out it's not because he couldn't get out of town, it's because he decided because Lazarus was ill, he was going to stay put. So I, I don't know if you've had a first step in his plan, it's chill out for a few days while your friend suffers. Or uh, put another way, wait until they die. That's Jesus' care plan for his friend. In a word, delay. There's delay. I'm sure there's no book anywhere that says, hang tight. See what happens when it comes to serious illness. But that's precisely what Jesus does and just offends everybody who's not tracking with the deeper thing he's after. This kind of friend would be written off by family and the doc would lose his license. Well, by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And that's plenty dead. I got on the phone with a nurse friend of mine from our congregation and said, just talk to me about what happens when the body dies. I mean, I know they're dead, but can you just color this up for me a bit? Can you fill it out? Can you convince me with some specifics that this thing's not coming back? I was helped. 
learned some things. When a body dies, it's not anything like turning off a computer to then turn it on. It's like chucking a computer into the sun. That's what it's like. There's no coming back. Without oxygen, everything changes. The brain starts to digest itself and the tissue becomes soft and liquefies. And the fat in the body begins to break down and becomes soap. Cells burst from the absence of energy as oxygen is stopped powering the body and the blood stops moving and settles to the lowest place. Within six hours, rigor mortis sets in because energy is needed for the muscles even to relax, so they stiffen. But not long after that, the body becomes flaccid and the muscles tear and they settle. Gases form from the body breaking down so that the body would without attention burst. And that's why Lazarus would have been prepared for burial. He would have been wrapped in a cloth, spices to cover the smell and put in a tomb until his body had fully decayed. Lazarus is dead and Martha knows that. It's been four days. And Jesus, day and night for each of those hours, while they waited for him to die and after his death, never showed up. So Jesus arrives and she doesn't hold back. It's not exactly clear if it's all anguish or if there's some anguish and anger. She's certainly perplexed. Verse 21, Lord, if you had ever, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's distressed because of Lazarus, but she is perplexed because of Jesus. And what must they make of this? Is it the case that Jesus is something like the cabinet maker whose family never gets a new set of cabinets in the kitchen because he's always busy making them for everybody else? There are, <laughs> I have a nice camera and take pictures and sometimes I take pictures, pictures for families. The picture in our kitchen behind our dining room table is from 2009. Uh, my littlest daughter isn't even in it. We see it every day and I think, need to take or print out a new photo. I'll probably never do it. Uh, is, it that, is that the case? Jesus is out healing other people, right? He, he can go anywhere and do about anything, but here his closest loved ones are neglected. Is it because Jesus doesn't want to face the matter or he needs time to figure out what he's going to do? Maybe he's indecisive somehow. He doesn't feel up to the challenge. Or maybe he has more important things to tend to. Who knows what would have been going through Martha and Mary's minds. But in that last one, maybe he has more important things to tend to. If she's thinking that, she's not thinking it quite the right way, but she's actually onto something. Mary has more or less the same response as Martha, weeping just the same, inconsolable grief, people surrounding her. Her face wet from tears, she falls at his feet, verse 32, and says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And at the sights and the sounds of all this grief and all these tears, this is where Jesus breaks down himself and loses it. We can relate with Mary and Martha's difficulty here. Clearly, Jesus cares. Jesus is weeping for Lazarus. No one doubts that. Clearly, Jesus has the ability and the authority to have done something about it, and no one's questioning that either. 
Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She kind of doubts what she's saying, maybe. She's saying it, but he didn't show up. So why? That's the question we often ask in crisis. Why? And they were right there with Jesus asking why. For this reason, that's why. For his reasons, excuse me, that's why. And his reasons are good. We cannot forget that Jesus cares, he is able, and he is also, here's the third one you need, he's wise. There are things he knows, and there are things that he is doing that he has not always disclosed to us in our suffering. Now, he has hinted at things for them here. They're not totally in the light. He hasn't been raised from the dead yet. And yet he knows exactly what he's doing. He's to be trusted. When Jesus first learned about Lazarus' illness, he replied to the sisters in verse 4. His illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. (laughs) Was that meant to be like, a line to comfort them for the next few days because I'm busy and not going to be there. And then he shows up and has to deal with this thing. He said, well, he's not lying. It doesn't lead to death. Well, in what sense does it not lead to death? He's dead. And how will it glorify the son? That's the question. Jesus, what did you mean when you said, because Lazarus is in the tomb? Help me out here. When he announced that Lazarus had died, he said to his disciples in verse 14, Lazarus has died And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. I'm glad I was not there. I thought about making that the sermon title. I'm glad I was not there. Because it's a pretty provocative statement for him to say that, isn't it? It raises questions. Well, why was he glad? And by asking the questions of this little statement he makes, we get to important things. Why was Jesus glad he wasn't with Lazarus? For your sake. For your sake. There's something he's getting done that is more important than being with Lazarus to extend Lazarus' life for a time. You see, Jesus does care and he is able to do whatever he wants. But what Jesus wants to do for Lazarus, indeed for Mary and Martha, is different than what Mary and Martha would have asked. What Jesus wants to do for Lazarus is different than what Lazarus would have expected or asked for were Jesus present. Jesus wants something for Lazarus more than a longer and healthier life or even to be brought back from the dead to pick up where he left off then to die later. Like climbing up the hill to fall back down again. Jesus has much higher dreams for us and his people that he loves than that. He loves them too much. And so he teaches them about himself. Verse 25, he delayed, but now he's here and he's opening his mouth and he's making claims. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God, who's coming in to the world. And we see here an illustration of what Jesus is doing in all of the signs that he performs in the Gospel of John. Listen to these words. They're from John chapter 20. This is John's purpose statement for his whole book. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these things are written, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And she's just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus has claimed that he's the resurrection and the life, but he has not performed the sign yet, which he'll do in a moment. You see, this is Jesus' care plan for dying loved ones. And that includes Mary and Martha here, not just Lazarus. For they will all face death and they all need Christ. He doesn't come to earth with all kinds of amazing medicinal recipes. You know, he could have done that. Jesus could have left us with a book to unlock the secrets of the earth and put down all kinds of diseases. Uh, he used medicine. Uh, he ate and drank. Uh, not against medicine. He didn't come for that. He sure could have. He leaves none of those things with us. Here's what he comes for. Don't turn there. It's too hard to find. It's a prophet. But listen to these words in Ezekiel 37. In the Old Testament, the prophets looked forward to the day when God would fix it all. And not just fix the world, but fix his people who sinned unrelentingly against him in unfaithfulness. Here's how, here's a vision that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel. It's pretty bad and it's awesome. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord to set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones and he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. All right. That's dead. That's dead. A valley filled with bones that are dry and are very dry. And he's being led around to see and observe all of these dry bones. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Nervous, it seems. And I answered, uh, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews on you, upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am and the Lord. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I bring the resurrection and the life. And even more than that, I am the resurrection and the life. What Ezekiel promised that God would do for his people in taking them from utter and absolute hopeless slavery to sin, a valley of dry bones, and he will raise them from the dead. Jesus is doing just that. But those around him don't have eyes to see it. We do, because we have the full revelation of scripture and the spirit to illumine these things. What a great spot we're in. Ezekiel 37, don't miss that as background for Jesus' resurrection claim. It's exactly his purpose in doing this sign is to make a statement about who he is. He wants more than for his loved ones than merely to live longer or healthier lives. He wants them to live. And it's not even really enough to say 
that he wants them to be raised from the dead. For Martha actually believed this. She anticipated the resurrection at the end of time. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he'll rise again in the day of the resurrection in the last day. It's kind of like, I know about that. So she doesn't get it. Listen, I know about that. I want my brother back now. I want him now. So take some encouragement here for all of us. Mary and Martha loved and followed Jesus. Jesus loved Mary and Martha. But how patient is he with them? So it's okay if you're in process, in growing, in grieving. Jesus is patient with you. Hear his word. Believe it. And thank him for his patience. They're growing and we're growing. What did Jesus mean then by life? That he's the resurrection and the life. Well, by eternal life, he doesn't mean the life we've always known without end. No, that's pathetic. By eternal life, he means, well, the knowledge of himself forever. In John 17, 3, he'll pray, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And when he comes, he does more than write a prescription for eternal life. He is the prescription that he provides. And he is the life that that prescription yields. Verse 38. Now he'll prove that these things coming out of his mouth are legit. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by uh, by this time there will be a great odor for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, see, he's helping her get it. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God, follow me here. Martha confessed that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And yet at the tomb, she's still not connecting the dots. Lazarus' death is a foregone conclusion. And so lovingly, Jesus tells her the truth. And it's okay for us to do this for one another when we're grieving, by the way. I've got to do it at the right time and not from a position that doesn't feel because Jesus speaks from a position that feels. But what she needs in the moment is to have her thoughts about Jesus corrected. And of course, we don't promise anyone of one another that Jesus will heal our bodies in this age, but we do promise one another that he will raise the dead in the next. So we continue, verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Like he's telling his father something he needs to know, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And a picture of what God promised he would do at a spiritual level in Ezekiel 37 is found right before them. Come out, unbind him. And so Jesus says those things to us in salvation. So what was the purpose of the sign? Well, it was not a sign that Jesus will bring back from the dead 
uh, his people so they can finish off the kind of life they have now. No, Jesus raised Lazarus in order to verify that he is the resurrection and the life. Raising Lazarus was small potatoes, but it's proof enough that he is who he said he is, the resurrection and the life. Jesus here extends an invitation to all who believe. Do you believe, he says to her? I believe. Here's a response. The last element we'll look at, the response. Verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. That's Martha's beautiful articulation of who Jesus is. Although she was coming to grow in the knowledge of all that that meant and all of the life that that would entail. We're told that many Jews in the verses following who were consoling her believed as well. But the medicine of Jesus doesn't always take. By many a soul, he is rejected or vomited out. And so many Jews who observed Jesus raise a man from the dead ran to the chief priests and the Pharisees to report this. They didn't deny that they'd raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They just didn't want anything to do with him. And on that day, they made plans to put him to death, verse 53. A pretty strong, volatile reaction to Jesus. It's funny, even if actually scary, that they didn't deny that Jesus raised Lazarus. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. They will trade on Jesus for a little earthly security and they will miss eternal salvation. And what's ironic is that Caiaphas actually speaks better than he knows. Jesus says he reverses death. That's his claim. And they will kill him for this claim. And his death at their hands will actually be the means by which he brings it about and provides resurrection for many. Jesus can raise Lazarus from the grave and return him to normal life as he's done. But Jesus actually can't raise anyone to truly new creation life unless sin is dealt with. And that's what Jesus will deal with on the cross where he's crucified. From, start, from the start, our passage has the cross in view. The disciples knew it'd be dangerous to go back to Jerusalem. And for the raising of the man from the dead, the religious and Roman authorities will conspire against him. And it'll even be during the Passover of all times that they'll issue this order that if anyone knows anything about Jesus, tell us because we're going to arrest him. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so he asks of each of us, just as he asked the sisters, do you believe? I pray you do.